That is the book of Revelation, the missing dimension, part four, forsaking the first love, the church of Ephesus. Let's pray again. Lord God, we bless you, Lord. And we pray that, Lord, you continue to inspire us, Lord, and to open our spiritual understanding, Lord. We pray that, Lord, your word, which is already blessed, will also be a blessing into our heart and encouragement, Lord, as we look, Lord, to your blessed appearing on that day where we will be forever united and we'll be like you, never to depart again. In the meantime, Lord, we cherish your word that is able to make us wise and to reveal your plan to us. We bless your name in Jesus Christ. Amen. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1 to 7. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, This thing says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. Verse 3. And you have persevered and have patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes, I will give to it from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Amen. Quick word on the context, on Ephesus itself. The location of this particular city this was a very developed city, very commercially prosperous. But paganism was the main source of pride and income in this city, which was the site of the temple of Artemis or Diana. In Acts 19.27, this is referred to as the temple of the great goddess Diana, whom all Asia and the world worship. So, multitude of tourists and worshippers visited Ephesus to see the temple and the city's commercial life and prosperity 
depended on these visitors. Because of this widespread paganism, the city of Ephesus itself was considered to be the temple guardian of the goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Zeus or Jupiter. That's in Acts 19, verse 35. That is the context. The Ephesians, they pride themselves and they say the city itself, not just the temple, but the city itself is the temple guardian of what they refer to as the great goddess, Diana. I think in the past uh, we looked into detail these things about Diana and Artemis and Cynthia, etc. Aphrodite, etc. is the same, character changing according to different mythology and civilization, but it's the same. In this epistle to this church, Paul, about three decades ago, about 30 years ago already, Paul had taught believers that the church was a living organism, not mere institution. The church wasn't a building. The church wasn't a program of activities. The church is a dwelling place of God by the Holy Spirit. There is a whole teaching Paul is giving to the Ephesians on what, he, what it means by the temple of God. Certainly because of what was happening around them. Because of the size and the prominence of the temple of Artemis it was at the heart of the life in Ephesus. So those who were coming to the faith needed to understand what it meant by, by God's temple. Because they were brought up in that context. All they had in mind was that temple. And Paul had to put things right in teaching them what it meant, the temple of God. So you see, for us, if we don't have a building and we can meet in a park, that's the church. We know from Acts 18 that Aquila and Priscilla were very instrumental in starting the church in Ephesus. A couple, godly couple. They even help a man, eloquent man called Apollos, help him. They listened to him in a synagogue what he was saying. They took him aside. The Bible says they explained to him a more accurate way. And things changed. Apollos began to teach and to focus his message on Christ, the reason one. 
that was missing. When I think of this couple, I bless the Lord. What will be the rewards? Because of their faithfulness, a lot of people came to faith. And Timothy became the pastor at the church. So many people come. Former magicians came to faith. They turned things upside down. Pagans were threatened as a result of a small beginning which the Lord does not despise. It's very important that our homes, our house, are places where the Lord can feel welcome. Let us not waste time precious time of God. There are so many things to do legitimately. But let us allow the Lord God to be welcome in our home. To have preeminence and to establish his will and to fulfill his purpose. Because we are his people. You see, people who practice sorcery and mysticism, they train their children from very young age. From very young age. What do we do as believers? Our children just do whatever they want to do. We just follow them in the name of, you know, not to offend, not to... By God's grace, we've got to establish foundations. They will be leaving the next generation. And if the foundation are destroyed, what shall the righteous do? We will be responsible and accountable before God for their lives. It's not going to be any easy. But the Lord will also increase his grace on them. When we think of the future, we, we are frightened. But remember, God is not overtaken by that. Even under the great tribulation, the Lord will provide. What we need to do is to teach our, our children. Let's be serious with these things. Let's be serious with these things, friends. It's really tough. Our children spend seven hours at school. I'm telling you, the kind of things they learn, both from teachers and from colleagues, it's frightening. And if we want to replicate the same at home, because we need to please children, it's not responsible before God. As harsh as that may sound, I just need to tell you what I have to tell you. If our children choose to rebel against God and we have laid properly the foundation, that's their own, their own problem. But if they go astray as a result of 
our irresponsibility, their blood will be required of us. We can say hallelujah in heaven and the famine is rotting in hell. There was a man 10 years ago, over 10 years ago, we were attending the same church. One Sunday I asked him, how is the family gathering doing? He said to me, to be honest, I've been very busy with uh, outreach in Hyde Park Corner. I said, okay. So, you know, that's, that's feeling good about yourself. That your whole family is going somewhere else and you're going to do activism to make yourself to feel good about yourself. Ten years later, last weekend, last weekend, I sent him a message. Now, he sent me something. He sent me all sort of non-Christian things, you know, about Ukraine and so many. At some point I said, but before that I had sent him a teaching, an article from me. Then I asked him, I said, what do you think about what I sent you? He replied to me, he said, to be honest, I never, not I haven't, I never had a chance to read Christian. Busy in Hyde Park. Can't equip himself. Can't read godly things. But he's busy with Ukraine and Boris Johnson and Putin. And Ten years ago, he couldn't sort out his house with godly things. Ten years later, he doesn't have time to read but it's a Christian doing outreach. In Revelation chapter 1, chapter 2, verse 1, the letter to this church is addressed to the angel of the church of Ephesus. Now, the angel of the church of Ephesus. This is a tough one. There's no agreement amongst Christians as to the identity of the angel. There's no general agreement as to the identity of this angel. Some people believe it is an actual angel who guarded that particular church. People believe that each church has an angel. Maybe you have one. Some others believe that this angel represents a bishop who was the overseer of many churches in Ephesus. People who defend this say, we don't believe that in Ephesus there was only one church. There were so many churches, and there was an overseer, an archbishop. And uh, it is to him that the letter was sent. Yet some others believe that this angel refers to a local minister of each of the seven churches since the same word is used for angel often. 
but it also designates anyone speaking on God's behalf or someone executing or communicating the Lord's will. I personally support this one. I support this last one. And I'm going to tell you why I support this. I'm going to tell you why I believe that it is to do with a local overseer. The Greek words for angel is, it spells agelos, but it's strange to pronounce angelos. Angelos, there is an N. Angelos, which means to bring good tidings or simply a messenger. Now, I should, have, I should have checked this with Helen or, uh, or Christy before, but that's okay. Whenever I say angel in the Old Testament, you pronounce it. <laughs> the, the spelling is Malak. So it's Mal? Malak. Okay, good. You've heard that. It's M-A-L-A-K. Okay. In Haggai, the book of Haggai. Chapter 1, verse 13. You have this. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. Now, the word messenger here is the same word as angel. That's my first point, why I support that interpretation. Hagar is called a messenger. Exactly the same word. That was used in uh, Genesis 16. You know, when the angel appeared to, um, to Hagar. Oh, English. Hagar. Hagar. Okay. And discuss and converse and reveal the name of Ishmael, all those kind of things. The same word for angel is the same word that is used here for Hagar, the prophet. Malachi chapter 2 verse 7. Malachi chapter 2 verse 7. For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge. And people should seek law from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Same word. Angel. I've already mentioned Genesis chapter 16 verse 7 to 11. It's the same word. In both the, New, the Old Testament and the New Testament, the word angel is used for messenger. In relation to John the Baptist, who came to prepare the way for the Lord. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Fulfillment, Matthew 11, verse 10. Mark chapter 1, verse 2. Luke chapter 7, verse 27. All that based on a fulfillment of a prophecy from Isaiah 40, verse 3. The voice crying in the desert, prepare the way. 
it's fulfilled in John the Baptist who introduced Jesus to the world. Referred to in the Old Testament as the messenger. Same word for angel. Again, evidence why I believe that he cannot be an angel as we know from what Isaiah saw in heaven. Now, think about this. Why would the angel ask John, the apostle, to write down the message in order to send to another angel? Does make sense to me. And why does an angel need a letter? Why? By the way, the Lord presents himself to this church as the one who holds the seven stars in his hand. And we know those are servants. Cannot be angels. He who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands or candlesticks, as the Lord walked in the midst of Israel, his people, so he does within his church. In the old covenant, the high priest ensured that the light of the lampstand did not die in the tabernacle. You see, Jesus Christ is our high priest. He's walking in the midst of his church to maintain the light, to maintain the holy, the purity of his testimony in his church. You see, he's the one who baptized with the Holy Spirit. He's the one who gives the Holy Spirit. No wonder he walked within his church to make sure that everything works according to his will. Verse 2 to 3. The church in Ephesus. Now there is a dilemma here. This church has been called the loveless church. As I said last time to you, is this church really loveless? Or is it steadfast? Is this church really loveless? This is how the Lord sees this church. The Lord knew their works, labor and patience. In other words, the Lord commanded their work. This church did not tolerate evil in their midst. They did not tolerate evil. This church had tested, exposed false prophets, and found them liars. These deceitful workers posing themselves as apostles of Christ. They discerned, they tested them, and found them liars. High commendation. And the Lord was pleased with those things. 
they were steadfast and zealous for the Lord and did not become weary. They hated the deed of the Nicolaitans, which the Lord hates also. So what more can you ask of a church? Is this a loveless church, really? What more can you ask of a church? Verse 4, the missing dimension. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. This was the missing dimension in this church. They had forsaken, they had left their first love. Now, leaving a first love also means letting them down. Love becomes less glowing. Love becomes less genuine than it was at first. At Ephesus, their love for the Lord was in decline. It became superficial, perhaps unreal. They were here and they've fallen from the height of love they were before. That's their problem in that church. They've fallen. It's not like uh, they've been swimming, swamping in sin. No, they've fallen. The zeal, the motivation, the underlying motivation they had before, as well as doing what they continue to do, something has changed, which only God can see. As individuals, we can always keep an appearance of which does not exist in reality, a form of godliness. Because the Lord desires our whole hearts, no outward services can be a compensation. nothing we can do to impress God when our heart is not holy for him. Activism avails very little. It can be seen as doing so many things in the eyes of man as far as God is concerned. He's looking for something else. Remember that passage which mentioned the sin that ensnares us so easily. Not the sins, the sin that ensnares us so easily. That one. That's the missing dimension in our life. 
that one. That's what God wants to deal with. Because it ensnares us so easily. We can't help. The Lord looks at the hearts. First Samuel chapter 16 verse 7. The Lord is not impressed by the outward service and what's going on. He's just looking at the heart. He said the greatest commandment found in Luke chapter 10 verse 27. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your spirit. I prefer spirit to mind, but okay, it's the same. That's the kind of love God requires of us. All that is in us, praise the Lord. Not half. You have forsaken your first love. In Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 2 to 3. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 2 to 3. I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal. Not sure how you pronounce that, but uh, try that. I didn't check with my team. When you went after me in the wilderness, in a land not sown, Israel was holiness to the Lord. There was a different type of relationship and love. In the wilderness when the Lord guided them, when the Lord you know, provided, when they were attacked and they cried out to the Lord, they went after the Lord and the Lord saw holiness and the Lord was pleased. There was that kind of love. The Lord is saying, I remember you. I remember those days. But now, where are we, Israel? The same question direct to us from the first height of love we were when we first believe. Where are we? Are we doing things mechanically? Have we become professional believers with a blueprint and a template of the Christian life as to what we need to do? I remember you, the kindness of your youth. Where we were with God 25 years ago, 10 years ago, where are we now? Do we know too much that we don't need God anymore? God is omniscient. We can never finish to learn the Bible every day. Someone wrote to me after the last teaching and said to me, I've heard this sermon so many times in various ways, but I've been challenged by your three conclusive questions. I've never heard that. If we were part of the mailing list, what would God write to us? He says, been challenged by that. You see, that's someone who has been a Christian for so many years, 
but yet was able to be blessed with a little something that come when we pay attention to what is going on. It seems like uh, there was a growing problem in Ephesus as a consequence of forsaking their first love. In fact, our spiritual position before the Lord also affects our human relationships. If things go wrong vertically with God, they will go wrong horizontally with fellow humans. There was apparently problems in human relationships in this church between spouses, in the church itself, at work. There is a whole teaching in uh, Ephesians chapter 5. Masters and servants, husband and wife, children and parents. There seems to be a problem as a result of falling from the first height of love. It affects the whole church. They needed a whole teaching. But that starts with putting things right with God. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19, Paul prayed that Ephesians would know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that they might be filled with all the fullness of God. So he prayed that they will know the love of God. Because the love of God has its own characteristics. So when God says, love one another, is according to his definition. It's not the Beatles' definition of love. No. The Lord has his own definition in which he delights. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave Love is charitable. Love is kind. Love is selfless. John 3.16 refers to the highest form of God's love to humans. Some of you would know that there are four types in Greek of love. I'm not going to waste time on it. Storge, which is a natural affection, like a familial love in family, between family, father and children, etc. Philia is another form of love between friends, affection for something. The opposite for that is phobia. Philia, opposite, phobia. Then you have uh, agapao. Agape. Yes, 
That's the highest form of God's love to humans. This love is selfless and charitable. For God so loved the world that he gave. Then you have eros. This is sensual, sexual, physical, carnal, animal. The one promoted also by the Beatles. This is the one. Make love, not war. This is the one. It's not God's love. When you hear everywhere, love, love, this is what people are talking about. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, there is an exhortation to walk in love as Christ also has loved us. And given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God. I love the song we sang here about love. Today is all about love here. Okay, let's read some figures. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, we're reading from verse 21 to verse 28. 21 to 28, submissive, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. 24. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husband in everything. 25. Husband, love your wives, just as Christ loved, also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the words, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husband ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Verse 21. Each one needs to submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. This goes beyond the marital settings. This is for everybody. All the believers have to submit to one another in love, in the fear of the Lord. It's a mutual submission. The same applies between husband and wife. It's mutual submission in love. Verse 22, wives need to lead in this area. In marital relationship, but this is to happen willingly and without compulsion. I'm talking about submission. The Lord set priorities. There is a mutual submission in love. But in this particular area of submission here, the wife has a special ministry 
in this particular area. Although there is a mutual submission, but it's not the idea a relationship such as a master and a servant. No, that's not what it is. Husbands are commanded to love their wives. And they need to lead in this area of marital love. Hard work. Husbands need to take the lead in this area. Have you noticed that it's a commandment? It's not optional. It's not an option. Do you remember in Jeremiah what we've just read there? I remember your youth. When you were youth, you did this, you did that. So it's happened in marriage sometimes. You know? Lots of dreams and vision and stuff. We were, you know, flying like doves, etc. Five years later, it was a mistake. <laughs> Feel sorry. Leaving the church. I disagree with this divorce thing. Oh. What about the visions? Lies. I wish I had more young people here to hear this. When they have an affair, they bring vision, they bring so many things in it to make it sound spiritual. After eight years, <laughs> husbands are commanded to love their wives. And they need to take a lead. A husband doesn't stay there. She doesn't love me. She doesn't love me. She doesn't love me. That's the lady who needs to say that. That's how the Lord made them. You take the lead and it costs. A good friend of me said, I love my wife when she messes up. I love her more. He's now a pastor. That was good. <laughs> this is not a self-serving love. No. It's not selfish love. No. This is genuine selfless, sacrificial love for their spouses. For God so loved the world that he gave. Sacrifice. And the Bible says, so must husband love their wives. Sacrifice. The husband is the head of the wife, but he himself is under the headship of Christ. Well, it works better when you obey Christ too. It's not a sermon against men, but it's just about love. That's what we're talking about here. And there, my friend, will share coffee after. <clears throat> Wives are commanded to submit to their husband in everything as the church is subject to Christ. Well, maybe the inspiration is problematic because if the church is not submitted to Christ, then what's worse the mother? 
I don't see how the church is submit to Christ. I don't have any reference. But that's the benchmark. We were in a meeting and uh, a pastor was teaching these kind of things. It was a couple meeting. And then he, commenting on this one, he reminded the ladies that uh, Sarah was so submitted that she called Abraham Lord, my Lord. In the evening, they went back home. There was an argument. And the husband turned to his wife, he said, remember Sarah. And the wife said, I do remember. But you wouldn't call Abraham Lord if Abraham was like you. The love of Christ for his church is sacrificial. It is caring and it is kind. Husband ought to love their wives in that manner. Could this be the current missing dimension in someone's life here? Maybe. Christ sanctifies cleanses his church with the washing of water by the word. Now, man, we love this. That's what Christ does. Unfortunately, unlike the Lord Jesus Christ, there is very little or none we can do to help against some form of stubborn spots or wrinkles. To help. Husbands need to love their wives not superficially, but let's read that. Let's read that and see what the Bible says. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33. Ephesians 5, verse 33. Nevertheless, let each one of you, in particular, so love his own wife. This is not a general thing. In particular, it's customized. In particular, don't treat your wife just like anyone, anyone. No. In particular, and also should be our relationship with God. God must have a particular place in our heart, wholeheartedly. Sold out for Christ. That's the kind of love. That's the comparison. Can you see the challenge there? Let each one of you in particular so love his wife. Listen carefully. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let the wife see that. That see means carefully ensures that she respects her husband. Sometimes you hear very sad stuff. The way wife speaks to the husband, even in the church, sometimes you feel, what is happening? What is this? Are we reading the Bible? You know, husband doing their own things, wife doing their own things, and it's just a total mess. 
yet the church is, suppo is supposed to manifest, to make known the manifold wisdom of God to the world. Yet you look, God hates divorce. That's what the Bible says. Why? Because it covers one garment with violence, the Bible says. That's a short way of saying the devastating effect divorce can have in the society. Break someone's heart forever. Why is remarrying a problem? Why is remarrying even more problem than divorce itself? Well, if someone has been broken in his heart, how is he or she going to survive? Well, I was talking with a lady from Brazil many, many years ago. And uh, she was saying, well, I had enough and I left. And another one said the same. Another one said the same. We were at university, Burbank University. And I said to them, now, looking back, do you think there was uh, room for you doing things differently? Do you think there was a way you could have saved that marriage? All of them, without exception, they say yes. So there was some pain, broken hearts, consequences. First love. You don't mess up with the first love. Because divorce covers one garment with violence. God hates divorce. So should we. When we first became Christian, they were telling us that as a Christian married person, don't even say the word divorce because it's a demon. It will come in your house. But now, there are threats everywhere. I'm going to divorce you. I'm going to divorce Christians. When the foundations are destroyed, what shall the righteous do? Where is the fear of God? Left the first love. Where are all the restaurants, all the Nando's, all the St. Valentine? Or where are they now? True love has its own features. I'm not going to read that for the, sake of, for the sake of time. But true love has its own features. You can find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You know that? Hymns of love, as it is known. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 to 7, you find that. Love is kind. Love is not easily provoked. Lord, tr love trusts, believes, bears all things, is patient. Love has its features according to God. The church in Ephesus was located in a very pagan location. After Paul exhorted the believers to love and submit to one another, he went on to remind them that the battle was not against flesh or blood but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this age, and spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. The enemy doesn't like love, marriage, or family. The enemy attacks families. doesn't love families. doesn't like families. 
just after teaching them about the function of the family, how husband ought to love their wife and wife be submitted, he moves swiftly to the warfare. For we do not wrestle against flesh or blood. Your husband, your wife, is not ultimately the problem. Maybe they are caught up in some sort of weakness. Maybe you are responsible for not interceding and praying. Because we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And, and blood. Maybe we should pray a little bit more. When we notice some change, some rudeness, some ungodliness, maybe we should just retreat a little bit and pray a little bit more. That God will intervene. Rather than making the situation worse. We do not wrestle against flesh or blood. A pastor used to say when husband and wife came to see him and uh, they had issues, he used to ask them, oh, you've given space to the small spirit of wickedness again in the heavenly places. Because he said that those are the spirits that are going everywhere just to cause trouble. <laughs> we need to be vigilant. However, the church... By the church, these principalities and power will know the manifold wisdom of God. Ephesians 3.10 When non-believers look at Christians, the way we live, the way our children conduct, the way we live in our relationship, they should look at something really different. Because we have the Holy Spirit, we have the Word of God. I don't need a psychologist. I never had a psychology course to prepare me to marriage. No. I don't need it. any. Because I, I even heard that most of them are divorced themselves. And drug addicts from what I heard. The word of God has everything that pertains to life and to godliness. By the Holy Spirit. The church is at the front line. Remember what I said when I introduced at the front line of the battle, and we are commanded to pray, always, to be watchful with all perseverance. In fact, in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 42, we are reminded that the believers persevered steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, prayer, fellowship, breaking of bread, they found strength in being together, believers, praying for situation, warfare, praying, praising the Lord together. Notice in the apostles' doctrine, not something, something else. And the church was strengthened. And the church had victory. The Bible said they, they had favor. The Lord added every day those who were being saved. They had favor. The kind of favor means people looked at them this. They look different. You know, the way they conduct themselves, you know, the way they look different. People saw something, something they couldn't have in the world. Remember in Babylon, Daniel and his companion, they set their heart that they will not defile themselves. Three years at university, but from the outset, they set themselves to obey God. 
so was Joseph in Egypt. Why should I show a so great evil? Now, those people had God. Moses, when he became of age, chose to be with the people of God. Suffer the shame of Christ with the people rather than the guilty pleasures or being called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He refused that. Now, young people, are you going to make a difference for Christ? Or you want to be ahead in everything? Or you're going to be for Christ and make a difference? I will save at university as a result of young people testifying Christ. I went to university, a good pagan. And I came out Christ lover because of young people who took Christ seriously at university. Amen. Let's pray. Loving Father, we bless you and we say thank you for our time together in the word of God. Lord, as we ponder, as we reflect on those things, Lord, the message to the Ephesians was remember where you have fallen. Lord, sometimes we don't even remember where we have fallen. Help us, Lord, to look to you. Open our understanding, Lord, that we might live a life that is pleasing to you. So that's the only way we can be happy in Jesus. Trusting and obeying. Help us, Lord, as the battle intensif intensifies. Lord, we pray for these things. That husbands in this church, we take their responsibilities and do the right thing in a sacrificial way. And we pray that, Lord, wives, ladies, will be submissive to the glory of God. And that older ladies will teach younger ladies how to love their husbands, as the Bible says. Each one playing his role in the church, Lord. We call out to you, lead us, Lord. Build your house to your glory. As we depart from this place, Lord, we commit each one of us to your divine care. Bless each one of us and grant us victory in Jesus. And bless our going back home. Bless the coming week. Strengthen those who are unwell in their bodies. But we also pray, Lord, for couples and families where there might be misunderstandings or issues. By the power which by you able to subdue all things unto yourself, we call out to you for help. Do something new, Lord, that all the glory will be to you. We give you praise and glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you.